2: Would you like to contribute to the conversation?
3: Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition conversation was in?
4: Jay Talking with Bradley J. I listen to Morning with the Sun Up. I'm
5: busy. WBZ News Radio 1030.
6: I tune my radio to AM 1030. The radio's all yours now. I talk through a man whose name a Bradley DJ Improved my mind in a wonderful way I just called in To see what condition conversation was in
7: Yeah, yeah, oh yeah What condition conversation was in
6: it's WBZ You are Jay talking. we're live midnight to five Rob Brooks is uh, running the wheel at the... At the con in the other room, Anthony Samako is our guest, and let's spin the magic wheel and see which town we're going to talk about tonight. It looks like Medford. It Medford, good. Massachusetts has a dedicated book. Yes, You've written a book about Medford.
3: I did a few years back, and it's really quite a fun book. City of Medford is one of the more interesting places just north of the city. It's not only a bedroom suburb, but it has a rich and ever-evolving history of its own.
6: And this is a, who publishes this, Images of America? Is that-
3: it, yes, Arcadia Publishing, Arcadia and Publishing. it's one of the series, as you said, Images of America, that is actually something that's about 128 pages, 220 photographs, and it's something that chronicles you know, a city or a town, or even a village, that basically talks about the history and photographic format. And as my family has hailed from Medford since 1921, when they moved from the North End, I think Medford has this wonderful, rich history that, you know, some of us actually participate in.
6: Okay. I did extensive preparation for this, and we'll get to that. But first, right on the cover is a sort of, uh, I don't know, eerie photo of about six or seven young women doing some sort of Nymph dance, I, I, you know, what what would you call that dance?
3: Well, it's Alla Isadora Duncan and these were young ladies of Medford. It's probably in the early first decade of the 20th century. And they were actually doing dances which were diaphanous gowns in front of the royal house which is on Main Street in South Medford. And what they've tried to do in some ways is to photograph it and they did a very good job of it, but they were the dances that represented the spring, summer, fall and winter. Oh. And these were the muses, and these were dances that were done often. But it was also something in a lot of ways that was a photograph from the collection of the Medford uh, Public Library. They have a wonderful collection of things that I had borrowed at that time, including the Medford Historical Society. And I think in a lot of ways, when we think of Medford in some ways, it's not just a city, but it's actually a rich um, history that devolves from the 1630s when it was settled by Puritans.
6: So uh – Medford, the name of the town. Ford means a place where you cross a a stream or some sort of water body. Mm -hmm. What about Med? Does that just kind of mean middle?
3: Well, it does mean middle. But on the other hand, Mead Ford was the name of the uh, town itself. In the 1630s, it was called a peculiar town. In that instance, it was something that was owned by a shareholding corporation. And the Craddock family was involved in that in the 17th century. Medford was part of the Puritan settlement of Massachusetts Bay Colony. And of course, the Mystic River itself was something that not only was an important part, but you had to realize that what is present-day city of Medford is a much different thing than it was in the 17th and 18th century. What is today South Medford, or what is today basically between the Mystic River and Somerville, was part of Charlestown until the city of Somerville was actually incorporated. And then north of it, which is basically Medford itself, you began to realize in that period it was something that derived its economy from not only rum distilleries, slaveholding, as well as even brick kilns. And it was a major feature during that period that many people throughout the Boston area would look at Medford as a major part of the shipbuilding industry of the early 19th century as well.
6: Clipper ships, correct?
3: Clipper ships is right. Right. Um, Isaac Hall was one of the foremost his house was uh, directly on South Street facing the Mystic River and in the foreground on the river itself would have actually been his shipbuilding yards so shipbuilding was something that wasn't just um, an industry that was in East Boston such as with Donald McKay and South Boston but it was also in Medford itself and during that period from the early 19th century right through to the 1830s and 1840s when clipper ships became enormous, it was a major part of the economy. So I think Medford itself has not just a historical overlay, but it also has a very rich
6: industrial overlay. This may not be your thing, but you probably know anyway. Clipper ship. uh, Ships have different names. Schooner, clipper ship, frigate. What is a clipper ship?
3: Well, a clipper ship was evolved in some ways primarily through Donald McKay. It was a large ship. It was actually something that was under sail, but a clipper ship itself was something that through that period was tried to be made as sleek and fast as possible. Initially they were for the trade. So the faster they got somewhere, the better the price they could actually ask. And one of the things was many of the clipper ships were used to actually bring tea from India and China back to England. And in that period, the clipper ship itself, if it made a fast run, could actually command the price of the tea. So the, the first tea that supposedly arrived was worth more than the tea that glutted the market. Clipper ships themselves were the same type of a thing. They actually brought not only cargo and passengers from England to the New World, but they also went from Boston all the way around the Cape of Good Hope, and they eventually went on to what is today the West Coast. Do
6: you happen to know where the actual shipyard was in modern day of Medford?
3: Well, it was on the Mystic River. It was on what is today South Street, and it went all the way along the river itself through what is today Riverside Avenue. At that time, it was called Ship Avenue. So I think Medford itself had a series of shipbuilders of greater or lesser size, but the whole idea was it was all along the river itself.
6: And we're talking about Matthew Craddock, and he had the land, and how did he get it, and uh, what he well, in the sort he gave it away?
3: Yeah. Well, no, the 17th century, I mean, people did get land grants, and this man was called Governor Matthew Craddock. He got a land grant, and of course, Meadford, as Medford was originally called, was something that was on the river, so it had all of the accoutrements one would want for a settlement. But he never visited Medford. That was the ironic thing. And Craddock himself, who actually was somebody who lived in England, would actually head up what was basically the land grant. But the idea was that this is something that you had to realize that was a flourishing village. It farms, fisheries, shipbuilding. And ironically, as I mentioned about shipbuilding, the Blessing of the Bay was actually launched in 1631 by Governor John Winthrop. That was something that actually would spur throughout the 17th, 18th, and early 19th century the building of shipping. Now, our economy at Massachusetts Bay Colony in the 17th and 18th century was, of course, mercantile. Everything had to do with not only trade, but it was something that had to do with the water. So shipbuilding could actually allow you to trade with Cuba or Antigua or the West Indies or the Caribbean. So you could actually bring Medford rum to the Caribbean and maybe come back with all sorts of different things that then you could actually trade.
6: That's interesting. Think of the Caribbean as the rum place, but yet we're bringing rum to them.
3: Well, we're not only bringing rum to them, but then again, we're bringing back molasses from the West Indies, and that is actually used in the distillation of rum. So as early as the late 17th, early 18th century, molasses was part of the world's triangle trade. And I always think in some ways, and I'm doing a lecture on molasses for the Medford Historical Society in November. People can actually Google it on Facebook or Google. And they'll find in some ways that this is something that basically we would see um, slaves being brought from Africa, and they were enslaved in the West Indies, especially in Antigua by the royal family from Medford. And then, of course, sugar cane would actually be raised and made into molasses. Molasses would then be shipped to Medford and used in the distillation of rum. And then rum was a major trading aspect. I mean, one would look at rum as something that was not just alcohol, but it was something that you could actually trade for a variety of
6: things. It was, a, it was a currency, kind of?
3: in In essence, yes, because in some ways, you know, if you had a— dram of rum, it not only warmed the body, but it was also something that was used in lieu of payment by sailors and you know the early part of the Navy. So do you happen
6: to know where the distillery was? Or the distilleries were?
3: Well there were many. And one of them was actually the Lawrence Distillery. And the Lawrence Distillery was in what is today Medford Square. Riverside Avenue between what is today Main Street and the Senior Citizens Housing, which is on Riverside Avenue had the Medford um, Lawrence family distillery, and they made a fine rum. I believe it was as early as the 1730s, and the Lawrence family, Daniel Lawrence, would actually continue that right up until the period of the late 19th century. And you had to realize in some ways this was big bucks. Um, Rum was something that was not just a libation of choice, but by that period of time it was actually one of the things that was a major part of Medford's economy. By the late 19th century, it was owned by Samuel Crocker Lawrence, whose estate eventually was developed in the 20th century as the Lawrence Estates. And he himself, when he became the first mayor of Medford, was somebody who disinvested himself of the family's uh, distillery. He probably thought, along with many other people, that it was something that, one deriving his wealth from alcohol, was probably not the most opportune thing for a politician but he himself had made his money and basically one would have thought he could have lived comfortably. But what he did was to, he and his son would parlay their money into real estate development and become you know, incredibly wealthy.
6: So I think I heard and I think I see that currently there is a Medford rum you can buy. Is that true? It's a Grand 10 distilling, is this old? It says Medford, I'm finding it online, Medford rum, distilled from blackstrap molasses, a New England tradition since 1715. It's an heirloom spirit. It's got a history. Is that, it probably is that current? Is. Does anyone know?
3: It probably is. One of the things is, if it's using blackstrap molasses, which is something that was brought from the West Indies and the Caribbean, and of course Medford had been producing it since then, so it might be a derivative of something, or it might be totally new, but using the old name. Yeah, I
6: feel like it's... The latter, something new. Well, rum can
3: come in different gradations. I mean, we talk about 20-year-old scotch or 20-year-old whiskey. Rum ages as well. And in that period, Medford produced some very fine vintages. If you can imagine the word vintage being used for rum. And it was sold by no less than S.S. Pierce. S.S. Pierce & Company is a book that I'm writing right now. And one of the things is they use not just Medford rum as their thing of choice, but they also used all sorts of things called Planter's Punch. So,
6: oh, I remember that. from you, I used to work at TGI Fridays. Oh, wow. I think we had that a lot.
3: Well, Planter's oh. Punch would kind of cut the pack of a dram of rum, and it was something that came in various fruit flavors and things of that sort. But Medford rum was something that was really quite a very popular thing. One had to realize that by the time of the Revolution, there were over 32 rum distilleries in and around Boston, so it wasn't just beer that was actually being brewed, but rum was being distilled. And these were two major parts of the economy, and it was also enjoyed.
6: So. I think maybe it'll be enjoyed again. <laughs> and plus, you mentioned gin and tonic earlier, and I've oh. just been focusing on that. Oh, my.
3: <laughs> well, it was very good at 4 o'clock, and I thought in a lot of ways it was the perfect afternoon, breezy yeah. and sunny. and
6: I don't know the company policy on gin and tonics. I don't really see anything wrong with One gin and tonic during our segment. Oh, my
3: gosh. Well, that sounds very interesting. Just one.
6: (laughs) Let's go to Donna in Boston. Hello, Donna.
8: Hi, Mr. Samaka, You're my favorite guest, bar none of anybody that's on WBC Talk Radio. So let's get that out of the way, first of all. Thank you, Donna. You're welcome. Bradley once asked why do people like you so much, and I said you... Exude enthusiasm and love for what you do, so there's the answer. Wow, that's nice. um, as far as Medford is concerned, I'm going to plead ignorance and listen to what you have to say about it. I happen to have grown up, my youth was spent in Dedham, and I'm lost when I'm north of Boston. I'm fine when I'm west of Boston, you know, Framingham, et cetera, and Norwood, Dedham, Braintree, and all that, so I look forward to hearing about Medford. But let me quickly ask, did you ever write a book about Dedham, by any chance?
3: No, I haven't thus far, but I'm getting close to actually trying to find new towns to write about.
8: Because <laughs> that, I think, was once part of Boston. I think, I, I know... Well, I no, Dedham was, it
3: was, you know, called Contentment, and it was a 17th century village, but it actually was separate at all times from oh, Boston. Oh, it was,
8: okay. Yes. Now, just having mentioned my ignorance of north of Boston... Uh, what's the main highway? Is it 16, Route 16, Route 62? No, Route What is 16, it that goes through? What goes through Somerville and all, all that area? Well, what's Route the?
3: 16 is actually near here where we are tonight at WBZ iHeart Radio, and this okay, is Okay, so what's
8: 16? Okay, the, go ahead.
3: There's also Route 60, Route 93, and of course, then the secondary roads such as High Street, Main Street and uh, Riverside Avenue. These are streets that basically are used on a daily basis. But the concept is, you know, Medford is a very conveniently placed locale. It's something that's just north of the city. It's a wonderful community that has people of all walks of life, wonderful overlay of architecture, something that not only has, you know, 18th and early 19th century housing stock, but also even modern apartment buildings and condominiums. So it offers something for a lot of people, the ability of living outside the city, but in a very urbane, upbeat manner. But also there's that wonderful, rich overlay of history. And you begin to say to yourself sometimes, you know, here was a town that not only where Jingle Bells was actually composed by John Pierpont, but it was also a place that Lydia Maria Child had actually created her wonderful ditty over the bridge and through the woods to Grandfather's House We Go. So Medved has that rich historical tradition, but it's also got this cutting edge, you know, modern sense of the 21st century that offers things for all of us of all walks of life. Thanks, Donna. Here's a silly.
8: Here's a, wait, wait a minute. Are you still there?
3: Yes. Yes.
8: Okay. I'm, here's a silly question. I wonder at what point people started to call it meffa.
3: Oh, please. You know, the, <laughs> the diminutives people use on these things, it's really incredible. I think there could be 10 different interpretations. But I've always said Medford. But on the other hand, I've heard the Mepha. I've heard different things. Do people but... really?
6: I mean, <laughs> do people just say that people say mefa, Or did anyone naturally, colloquially say Meffa?
3: I think it's their pronunciation. It's just mefa. So
6: Okay. Now, Donna, thank you. Isn't that nice? That's nice. But yeah. I think sometimes you're right,
3: you know, it's like basically, I will use diminutives if your one is from Dorchester, they say dot, which drives me insane. But I think in a lot of ways, you know, Medford is something that in the 20th century was the breaking ground for many of the new immigrants of the first generation. Their parents or grandparents had been born abroad. And I think Medford and South Medford especially became a place for an Italian-American community. My grandparents, not only uh, Luigi Samarco and my grandmother, Rose Gianelli Samarco, moved to Medford from the North End in 1921, but the family lived on the same street, you know, various cousins and things of that sort. So it was a community of people, not only of family, but of friends, and it went on for generations.
6: Absolutely. So we only have 45 seconds. Tell the folks again where you can be seen at your next—you're uh, doing a Medford—
3: 18
6: plus uh, well, A Medford talk, and it concerns molasses. Right.
3: That's in November, and it's actually for the Medford Historical Society. But if people are interested, I'm doing a lecture on the 100th anniversary of the Spanish flu. It's this Thursday. It's at the West End branch of the Boston Public Library at 151 Cambridge Street. It's at 630. It's free. But it actually talks about influenza and how it impacted Boston in the period of the 19. 19- Teens and early 1920s.
6: Let's, uh, we're, we're with Anthony Samarco, and we're talking about Medford. Anthony Samarco is Boston's you know premier historian, well, thank especially you. when it comes to the towns. Right, well, that's your strength. Do you have well, a my strength?
3: strength is you know the history of Boston and the neighborhoods. But neighborhoods, one of the concepts yeah. concepts is is not every one of us came from beacon hill or the back bay our families were involved in the city's evolution and i think the neighborhoods and the towns and cities that surround the city are a major part of what is you know to constitute the history
6: you may not have come from beacon hill but you certainly know those folks Well,
3: of course. You hang around with them. Well, some. I mean, one of the things is in some ways, you know, the city is a rich and ever-evolving place, and Beacon Hill is very different today than it was 50 years ago, let alone 100 years ago. But I think one of the things is about Medford is something that it is evolving in some ways. And in that instance, a lot of the things that I remember as a young child were very different than what it is today. And one of the things is there were two racehorse tracks. I don't know if you knew this No, I did not
6: know that.
3: And in the 19th century, you know, horse racing was a big deal. And it was basically something that was called Mystic Park and Combination Park. And these were two horse racing parks. You would have a horse and a one-seated sulky, and you would race along the course itself. Well, these driving clubs, as they were called, In the latter part of the 19th century, were a big deal. I mean, this was something that you kept a horse, but you could also take, you know, Meg, so to speak, and go for a race. They raced for loving cups, and one of the things is, in some ways, these were things that were in and around, not only the city, there was the Dorchester Gentlemen's Driving Club, but these two driving clubs in Medford. And in this book, which was Medford, Images of America by Arcadia, I have this chapter that talked about them, and not only did they have Mystic Park with this wonderful, you know, almost like a judge's stand, but it was something in an area of Mystic Avenue, which is completely developed today with both residences and commercial development, where once people would actually traverse not only from Medford, but the city to go out and race horses and watch it. Well, in that period of time, you began to realize in some ways that this was big business. And there were things such as the Medford House, which was not only a place where people could actually stay, but they also offered lunches and dinners. That was something that was on Main Street at the corner of Wright Avenue. And you began to see in some ways that these were things that were not just enjoyment, but they were also part of creating in some ways a destination. So it wasn't just Those, but it was also the fact in some ways that transportation was a major feature. And you began to see in some ways that one of the major things that Medford knew about was the Middlesex Canal. And today, it's something that's in the back of our minds. We don't realize that the Middlesex Canal itself did actually connect what is properly Boston through Sullivan Square, what is today Somerville, and of course Medford, as it went on northward.
6: Is that a man-made canal?
3: It was a man-made canal. Isn't it doesn't
6: exist now? Parts
3: of it still do. And the Middlesex Canal itself was uh, it was something that was chartered by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and it was under Governor James Sullivan, for whom Sullivan Square is named. But it was something you had to realize that it it was a major feature. And, of course, when it went north all the way to Lowell, it provided ease of transportation of um goods along a barge that is actually pulling it. You didn't need
6: Were they basic, horse-drawn barge cars. Horse-drawn
3: barge cars. Wow. And one of the things is it was much like any other canal that was actually laid through New York or Pennsylvania. But this was a major feature. And of course, you could actually on a barge have thousands of pounds of goods and it was so much easier. Yeah. And horses did not basically become tired.
6: Did they, did you have to have a horse on either side so it wouldn't? Well, it so it would go on, in the middle.
3: Well, it didn't. No, but you didn't. You might need two simply for the weight of the car. Oh, okay. But you could have two, but they usually used one.
6: Okay. Let's go to Jim in Somerville. Hello, Jim. Hi, Bradley. Hey. Hi.
9: Uh, that's one of my special areas in life. I grew up in Somerville, and uh, in the summertime to escape the heat, we jump on the bus and go up to Wright's Pond, go swimming. Yes. And and then the locals would tell us about the hidden ridge, which was a, an old quarry that uh, behind the uh, Stoneham Hospital, and we'd go up there and, and dive off the cliffs into the water. It was like, it was so nice because my point is that getting away from the city in five minutes, ten minutes by bus and being somewhere that you actually think you're up in New Hampshire or Maine is a wonderful thing for
3: us, you know? Well, I think, you know, uh, when you you came from a neighborhood sometimes that was heavily built up, and Wright's Pond, you're right, was less than five miles away. But I think Wright's Pond is still a destination for many people, and it is a pond. It's It's not the ocean, but it's an important part. Well, one of the things... Yeah, go ahead. No, No, you go ahead, please.
9: Well, I'd like to just say that, you know, MedFit is unique because what they had done is they had uh, been part of the Fellows Reservation, and thank God they did because all that wonderful forest up there is still preserved and it hasn't been, you know, uh, used for uh, uh, living spaces by houses and all that in neighborhoods, which is beautiful because we don't have a lot of that around Boston as much as we used to. And I think that's a, a, a nice quality about that area where. You can go up there and, and get out into nature real quick, you know, without, without having to travel far away. And, uh, you know, that's one thing I do like about uh, Medford, a lot of good memories. I just, If you don't mind, I'd just like to tell you a couple of uh, unusual points about what I've learned in my days. Have you ever heard of the story that they used to film up there and make movies? Uh, have you ever heard of any of that?
3: Yes, it was actually a film studio that was on the Way. That's right.
9: And you know, I've heard this more than once. John Wayne actually did some filming up there. Really? I heard that, from, yeah, from two from two points, uh, uh, sources. So I have to say, there must be some truth to that. Wow. He also told me that there's a stagecoach inside Wright's Pond to this day, that was left there because uh, for some reason it ended up in the pond. <laughs> and It's <he's> still submerged. <laughs>
3: wow, gee, that'd be interesting yeah. to find. I don't know That's if it'll be thing. surviving, but.
9: But, no, but it's so interesting to hear that. You know, it's kind of funny. And uh, and 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 also, there's a silver mine. There was a silver mine up at the top of the hill. There, you know, where the uh, when you're going up Route ninety three and you see that tower. up there? Yes, yes. That big hill there. There's uh, there was a silver mine. And silver is different from gold. When you mine it, you have to take all the rock out and break it up, and then do some chemical things. With interesting. To it. like find uh, veins of silver, you find you know. Uh, silver ore as they call it. Mm. So they did mine
6: some silver out of there also. Jim, thank you very much. Appreciate that. That's interesting. Well,
3: you know, the Middlesex Fells is something that one does see a portion of when one drives north on Route 93. And that tower, which is just at about a hundred feet from the Middlesex Fells at the very top of the hill at Roosevelt Circle is an important feature. But Wright's Pond that he was actually mentioning is something that I really didn't go to as a child, but it was named for Elysia Wright, and he was referred to as the father of the Middlesex Fells. This is preserved land, and it's really quite wonderful. Is it
6: still there? It is. It's, like it's a, wonderful. Pretty, pathways. I, I'm all about pathways these days.
3: I mean, this is something that you walk from a residential neighborhood across the street, and then it's just acre after acre yeah. of
6: preserve. Bigger land. than the Arboretum, say?
3: Very much so. Really? But the funny thing is, you know, this was an area, and I'm going to quote this, it was an area that was a volcanic locality full of rocks, small trees, birds, and glacial scratches, and the school apparatus of nature, unquote. And Wright, who was a resident of Boston, purchased a summer estate on Forest Street in Medford and was an early proponent for using the forest for recreational and educational purposes. So in the latter part of the 19th and early 20th century, it was open land, but it was also threatened with development. And The Commonwealth of Massachusetts was creating green space that surrounded the city, and Middlesex Fells was then deeded by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to be preserved land in perpetuity. So one had to realize that areas such as you know the Crystal Spring and Pine Hill, they even had these wonderful... Um, observatories and there was one that was built um, for Samuel Crocker Lawrence the first mayor of Medford uh, in 1892 that was at Ramshorn Hill in the Middlesex Fells and it was something that actually were perpetuated by a street near my parents house which was Ramshead Road off of Lawrence Road in the Lawrence Estates and you had to realize that all of this green space and preserved land as this earlier caller said was really five miles from the center city. Pretty cool. So the urbane aspect of a built-up city could actually be navigated in some ways into an area that was green space with beautiful trees and shrubs and nature.
6: Uh, we have Russ in Boston. Hi, Russ. You're on with Anthony San Marco.
3: Yes, good morning. Yeah, I find this
2: very interesting. I've got a f- uh, some questions and then a couple of comments. First of all, what year did they stop uh, building ships in Medford? And was the Mystic River Bridge built while ships were being built still in Medford?
3: Yes. The, the Mystic River actually had locks right at Medford Square, and that Craddock Bridge, as it's still called, is something that could actually be raised or lowered. it. It was something that could actually be moved, of course, to allow the boats to actually go. But... Boats themselves were built, as I said, even in the 17th and 18th century. But by the 1830s and 1840s, as clipper ships were getting bigger and bigger and became more predominant in East Boston with Donald McKay, I want to say that by 1845, Medford basically saw the demise of the shipbuilding industry. It wasn't just the size of the boat, but it was also the depth of the Mystic River. And one of the things is... The Medford City Seal, which basically was incorporated as a city in 1892, actually has an etching of shipbuilding and Craddock's house, which supposedly still stands on Riverside Avenue. So you had to realize that shipbuilding was a major part of the economy, but it somewhat waned in the 1840s.
2: Now, the, the next question I have is this On the Chelsea River, oil tankers still go up the Chelsea River and they unloaded the storage tanks in Revere. Yes. Now, I noticed that they rebuilt the drawbridge, the one that's between East Boston and, and, and Chelsea. And instead of building, you know, one of the regular-type drawbridges that, that open up on both sides, instead they built one of those type bridges. I don't know what you call them, but it's equivalent to the railroad bridge on the Cape Cod Canal that yep. they, they raise it. Correct. Now, are they finding that th- those, that type of bridge is more economical And cheaper to build?
3: It's not the fact I think my own opinion that it's economical. It's actually something that allows a larger ship to pass through. They recently did that at the Four River Shipyard, which actually goes, you know, from one point in Quincy to the other point in Weymouth and that actually raises itself rather than actually having two parts of the road.
2: So way. it actually can go higher by being exactly. by being raised. That that's interesting. Exactly. And the other co- comment that I wanted to make, you know, if we had the environmentalists of today versus those of yesterday, first of all much of Boston would have remained marshland <laughs> and the Quabbin Reservoir would never have been created. Right.
3: I think in a lot of ways, it's something you have to realize in some ways, we still need clean water and don't forget they had basically aqueducts that actually brought fresh water into Boston from the Jamaica pond. Jamaica pond had been used for a variety of purposes, including ice cutting, but it also had wooden pipes. These were hollowed out tree trunks that actually were laid in unison to bring fresh water into the city. But by the 1930s, the Quabbin Reservoir was something that was envisioned as a major feature of bringing fresh drinking water into Boston and the surrounding areas. And today, I have to admit, I mean, Boston's water is one of the best... That I've ever had. I mean, I've been delicious. Dinner.
6: I had some today. <laughs> I had some today. <laughs> with
3: ice. But one of there, the things—there's things...
2: no question. Without the Quabbin <laughs> Reservoir, right, we'd have uh, water shortages every summer in Boston. There, there, there's no doubt about that. And you know, you mentioned the ice. Also, there, there were ice houses on the uh, on Spy Pond in Arlington.
3: That's right. And you know, the yeah. thing is, we yeah. could go on an in infinitum about you know Medford. But one of the things is. Tudor, the ice king, actually did cut ice, even in Medford. A lot of people yep. realize in some ways, you know, it was primarily in Cambridge, but Tudor was somebody that actually had many different things. And there was a place called Virginia Wood, and that was where he would cut fresh water that had frozen, and it was something that became a major mm, part of the economy. Delicious. So. Rush,
6: thank Russ. Thank you. Before you go, thank you, you, you oh. gave a knock to the environment environmentalist. You do not like environmentalists.
3: Okay, hey, thank you.
2: Thanks.
6: Okay, so he, he he would he seemed to cringe at the thought that there might be more marshland around. I wouldn't mind that at all. Let's go to Paul and Woburn. Hi, Paul. Hi. How are you? We are well.
10: Uh, we, I Anthony I grew summer. up in Medford. I was born at the Lawrence Memorial Hospital which I assume was named for that uh, famous Lawrence. Yes. And uh, just up the street, up Border Road, I remember when I was a kid, my father went up to Winchester, and there was a big gun emplacement. They were protecting Boston before the Nike missiles with these big gun emplacements.
8: Really? And they had
10: soldiers within there, and I never forgot that it hmm. was on the Metro winchester line.
3: Well, the area itself was open, so it could have been something that was actually a protection service, but I had never read anything of that sort.
0: But
10: Yeah, yeah it was there. I remember that. I was probably about six years old, and was, the, the guns were unbelievably long, let me tell you. And uh, I guess they were meant to shoot down Russian planes or whatever. Then, of course, we had the Nikes after that uh, with the headquarters up in Burlington where mm. ICE is now. Um, but going along the uh, the Fellsway, there used to be a nice MDC police station. Yes. It was on the southbound side.
3: I remember it, yes. And,
10: and it was absolutely a beautiful station. A neighbor of mine, Dave Walsh, started out As an MDC cop there, and eventually he ran the uh, MDC police force out of Revere Beach. That was his place to run it, the night shift he ran. Interesting. And uh, he he has quite a few stories. I didn't realize that the MDC, uh, the police department, went... Wherever the water pipes went, the MDC covered the police.
3: Wow. <laughs> well, the building is a wonderful building. And I think in a lot of ways, these were buildings that were serviceable, but they were architecturally significant and they contributed to the community. But one thing I did want to mention about the Lawrence Memorial Hospital you know, it was something that was donated by Caroline Badger Lawrence, and she was the widow of Samuel Crocker Lawrence. It was on the edge of their estate. And in the early part of the 20th century, this enormous estate was developed for very upscale colonial revival houses. And you had to realize that this hospital, which opened, I believe, 1925, would actually serve the community. But today it's become not just a local hospital, but it's really something that services a much broader um, geographical area than just Medford. So you were born there, but today it's something that provides people of all walks of life medical care.
0: With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
6: More importantly, you were born to call Jay talking. (laughs) Paul, thank you very much. Look at the time. This is great. We haven't really talked much about Towns North, right? We talk about Dorchester and Milton. This is kind of new, kind of different. Well,
3: but in this series by Arcadia Publishing, I've done not just Boston and its neighborhoods, but I've also included things like Cambridge, Somerville, Medford, Milton, New Bedford, Georgetown. These are things in some ways that are a little further afield, but I want people to know I'm with Payne Boucher in Boston. I am an accountant, but the idea is that I love history and I've taught history at the Urban College of Boston. This is my 20th anniversary. Yay. Yay, that's right. And I also teach at the Boston University Metropolitan College. I teach a history of Boston course. And I think one of the things is you you try, in some ways, to interest people in history. I always say point blank. If a person doesn't love history, it's the way it was taught, either in high school or college. And I try in some ways to make people realize that there's so much interest in local history that tidbits can be fun to start with. And then, of course, some of the callers tonight have been basically saying that they have done research and is this true or is that true? And it's something that involves all of us.
6: You should assign the talking. Anthony Samarco episode of the podcast as, as a well assignment.
3: I think we should, too. That, I think one I of like the I things is some it. of my, I want to tell you, some of my students and their parents and guardians have actually said, that name is familiar. I think he's on the Bradley J. Show. <laughs> yes. So I guess you are
6: well known. Okay. So now it's Jimmy and Beverly. Jimmy, where are you calling from?
7: I'm calling from Beverly. Oh, Good morning. Okay. Good morning, Anthony and Bradley. Good morning. Um, uh, Anthony, you're so right as far as um, I love history and especially local history, and, and it's all about the way it was taught. I remember in high school, I had a U.S. history teacher that all she cared about was how you memorize dates. In uh, places for tests, and that was that was it. So I didn't like it at all. But then over the years, it, as the history has evolved, I just I love it. Now, I grew up in Melrose. I'm 62 years old, and I grew up in Melrose, just over the Fellsway from Wright's Pond in Medford, yes. um, right down by where you refer to Crystal Springs, across from the old Jerry Jingles ice cream. Oh, I remember, remember. Yes, yes. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And they used to have a uh, bottling plant right there at Crystal Springs where they had the fresh water. Springs right there, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, one of the other gentlemen had met, uh, just called a little bit early, he had talked about the reservoir up behind the New England Memorial Hospital right off of Spot Pond, so that's the overflow where we, that was our swimming hole growing up, this freshwater uh, reservoir that we used to swim, and it'd be like the skinny dipping place, and it was... But it was funny because um, the Fells Acres Reservation was considered by Bostonians in the early part of the 20th century as going to the country. Right. And it was only just that short train ride out from Boston. But that's only as far as you had to go to be into the country, as somebody had said earlier. But, um it's a great place. We spend a lot of time up there. The uh, Bradley, you're looking for some walking paths. Yes. It could be your new favorite place if you uh, check it out sometime. And uh, that tower uh, you were referring to up in the uh, that you can see from 93. Yes. I think that's what was referred to as Sheep's Fold. Is it still called Sheep's Fold?
3: Well, it is officially yes, but a lot of people don't really call it anything other than the Tower on the Hill. <laughs>
7: Well, that's where we used to go when we were like just got cars and you were 16 years old, and that's where you'd bring the date. Um, it was like Lookout Point back then. <laughs>
3: it still is, but you know, the thing is, it's so convenient. South Border Road is somewhat of a rural aspect, and you begin to realize how this was preserved. It was nature land that basically one had to look at it as something that was either going to be developed, like most of Medford was at that point. Or that was going to be left open. And the Commonwealth has to be commended for preserving not just Middlesex Fells, but the Blue Hills Reservation. And these were things that were just on the buffers of urban development of the turn of the 20th century.
7: Uh, one last. I agree. One last thing. Um, so I don't know. I've never heard this mentioned on the show yet. But uh, Bradley, directly across from the radio station, there used to be a drive-in theater that um, I'm sure Anthony could attest to. And within one mile, just less than one mile, right across Wellington Circle, there, down Route 16, was a second drive-in theater, less than a mile away. The Meadow Glen uh, yes. Theater and the Circle Twin, which was the one, was right across from your station. Do you remember that, Anthony? I
3: do, actually. The thing is, I've never been to a drive-in, but on the other hand, these were major parts of the ascendancy of the automobile. In the 50s and 60s, this was a big deal. Um, It wasn't just going on a date, but it was also something many, many, many people went, and their automobile would be a part of the whole thing, with the speaker system hooked up to the car and I don't know. I think that life has changed so much that we go to these luxury theaters and we forget the joys of basically bringing the family dog along with the children.
7: <laughs> There's something to be said for simplicity.
3: Yes, and <laughs> something that actually involves all of us. So shared memories from the past. Thanks, well, Jimmy. What a, gr-
6: what a great show. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. So I've looked up Medford on the map here, mm-hmm. and I see a lot of the stuff that people were talking about. I see Wright's Tower. Yes. Right near the highway. Elisha, right? And then the water department. I think somebody mentioned a, a water department building. Sheepfold Dog Park. Yes. The Silvermine Historic Site, all in this Middlesex Fells. And there are many trails. The Skyline Trail, Molly Spring Trail, Reservoir Trail. So if I take the train all the way to the end of the Orange Line, if one takes the train, I come to where? Malden? Where, do I, where does it take me to? O- Oak Grove.
3: I haven't been on the train in a 100 My I guess years. my
6: question is, anyone, if I get to Oak Grove, can I walk into this park or is it too far?
3: If you take a bus to Medford Square, you could simply walk up Forest Street, which would lead you to South Border Road, which would allow you to go
6: in. South Border Road, okay.
3: But the thing is, there's no train per se All right. near there. But I think one of the things is maybe we should actually go. I'll take you and I'll show you the area, because I think in some ways it's not just open space, but it's a very historic aspect to look at what Elisha Wright was trying to do, which was to preserve, you know, this remnant of, you know, the pre-settlement of the 1630s. I mean, we have to realize the Native Americans. The Massachusetts tribe of, you know, the Massachusetts Indians looked at this as probably not just home, but the place where they lived. And granted, there are parts that were developed in the 19th century with outcroppings and towers and things of that sort, but it's preserved almost intact. It's really quite wonderful.
6: Spot Pond has great island boating at Spot Pond. They have a boating thing I have a chapter
3: in this book on Medford on boating on Spot Pond. I mean, this is the funny thing, but also you have to realize Medford has Walnut Hill. And does anybody know what is actually on Walnut Hill in Medford?
6: Walnut Hill, a chocolate chip factory, a chocolate chip cookie factory. No. That's uh, just a wild guess. Wild is right. <laughs> I get Tufts up. College. Oh.
3: And Tufts is a, a major institution of higher learning that's in Medford, partly Medford, partly Somerville, but... There was a man that lived in Medford by the name of Charles Tufts, and his um, farm was called Walnut Tree Hill. And during the period of the 19th century, he had to realize that he not only gifted the land to the new college, but he was somebody who was not really someone who had aspired to higher learning. Charlie Tufts was a farmer and a brickmaker who, through his generosity of donating land, was considered the founder of Tufts College and donating a large portion of his farm on Walnut Tree Hill, he said he would, quote, put a light on it, unquote, and the Universalist College was founded. Tufts served as a trustee of Tufts College from 1856 to 1876, and today, when we think about this, started as a Universalist College, it was something today that embraces people of all walks of life, all religions, all ethnicities, But it's probably something in a lot of ways that you begin to realize that it's also the home of the Barnum Museum, where P.T. Barnum, who was a trustee, had once kept his magnificent mascot of Tufts College, which was the well-known college uh, mascot, Jumbo. Jumbo the the Elephant. elephant. Yay. (laughs) And I remember Jumbo, but he unfortunately burned to death, of course. (laughs)
6: Was there an actual elephant, Jumbo? He there did was. It I, said, he, I know that the chant at Tufts Games is right. Tuscum Jumbo.
3: That's right. And the funny thing was, you know, this poor elephant had been with a taxidermist for many years, and he was in the museum. But they had a fire, and, of course, Jumbo was destroyed in the Jumbo fire. Jumbo perished once again. He most certainly did. But you had to realize, here was P.T. Barnum, and, you know, the Barnum Museum. You know, we think of a circus, I mean, It was fun. It was probably something that was exciting. But P.T. Barnum gave the money to actually create the Barnum Museum. But then a person by the name of Mary Goddard would give a memorial chapel that is now known as the Goddard Chapel at Tufts. And you begin to realize that all of these things begin in some ways not to be locally important, but now they become nationally important.
6: By the way, the Medford book is... Excellent, and it's on sale now at finer booksellers everywhere, including what is now the most valuable brand in the world, Amazon.
3: Yes, I know. I, I have to admit there is something about Amazon. Next day delivery, and it's something that has competed against the local bookstores. But I always say to people, if you can get them locally, it's the nice thing. It's not only something that you're supporting a local business, but it's also the fact in some ways that it's nice to buy it locally. You can also
6: get it at places like Paperback Booksmith?
3: Oh, yeah. Uh, Barnes & Noble, any of those stores, but also Medford has some local bookshops as well. Do you ever
6: just cruise in those stores and see if anybody recognizes you? No. You may not know who I am. Do I look familiar to you? Well, they don't recognize me,
3: but I actually do go to Star Market in Alston, and one day I was ordering luncheon meat, and the man said to me, When's the next time you're on Bradley J show? And I looked at him and I said, Excuse me? <laughs> and he said, Oh, I, I recognize your voice. And I thought to myself, Really? Couldn't possibly be true. But on the other hand, it's like every time I go in there now, we have this nice little chat. That's
6: cool. But- they probably recognize your sort of patrician delivery. Really? I mean, Patricia in a good way. A good not one. everyone else says luncheon meat.
3: Oh, I see. Well, on the other hand, I mean, I'm,
6: I'm very nice. I love way. it. I Don't get me wrong, but it's distinctive.
3: Well, the funny thing is he's this one young man. He's someone who's interested in local history, much like your callers tonight. And we'll ask a question or I'll ask him a question. And sometimes it's kind of fun. I mean, but for someone to recognize me by my voice, not by my face is something that's quite intriguing. But I think sometimes you have to realize there are more people listening to The Bradley J Show than either you or I realize. And that's what makes it so special. It's kind of a nice way to think sometimes that people are truly listening. Kind of hanging out. But they can also be a participant, too.
6: Like Kevin and Peabody. And then Michael. uh, We have Kevin first, though. Hi, Kevin.
11: Um, Hello, Bradley. uh, Kevin calling. And uh, Anthony. Hi. Hi. I've done a couple of uh, events in uh, Medford from time to time. I'm from up on the North Shore. But one of the more fun ones that they do on the holidays is on Patriot's Day, they reenact uh, Paul Revere's ride through Medford Square. I know. And it's always uh, a bit of fun to watch, especially when he comes uh, bolting around the corner on the horse.
3: Well, it's so funny you say that because when I was a teenager, I would run down to Medford Square. We lived on Burbank Road, which was off of Lawrence Road. So I'd run down High Street, and I'd get there, and I'd stand outside of the Isaac Hall House, which happens to be Gaffey's funeral home, and Mm -hmm. there would be hundreds of people waiting for Paul Revere to arrive, and it was so exciting. I mean, it was a horse, and the horse was snorting, and it had rode from the North End, so the thing was, in some ways, here were these people, and we're reenacting something that was part of our history, but... You know, you begin to think sometimes that's what history is all about. It's r- introducing the next generation to something that our grandparents knew. So right. I, I too, was a participant of that for many years.
11: Okay. And there's also one other thing, and I literally stumbled upon this. I used to bicycle through Medford uh, frequently uh, from the North Shore to a uh, location I was going to. And on one occasion, on Route 60, just as you get to the traffic circle, where it circles under I-93, there is a small stone with a bronze plaque on it, and it's dedicated to the memory of the young lady who was the Black Dahlia.
3: That's true, and that was done by the Medford Historical Society. That's actually... Uh, the thing is, that's actually something that's between what is Medford City Hall and Salem Street. And hmm. it's it's a huge rotary, but it's actually at 93. But the Black Dahlia was named, and I don't know the woman's name. but I can't remember
11: her name either. She,
3: but she was somebody who actually had come from Medford. And I think it's so important. You know, the Medford Historical Society is, again, one of many historical societies that actually preserve local history. But they do a wonderful job. I mean, they have a headquarters on Governor's Avenue, and yes, they have lectures, and yes, they have walking tours. But one of the things that they've done is to mark the local historical spots, and the Black Dahlia is really on the same street where Fanny Farmer also lived and where she too has a marker put by the historical society. So here you have the Black Dahlia, who was a woman who lured men to their deaths, and here you had Fanny Farmer, who was one of the major cooks of late 19th century America.
6: Thanks, nice, nice, nice Kevin. Of- Take care. No, Black Dahlia, the woman out in Los Angeles that was bisected? Yes. She she got she was murdered and cut in half? Yes. Elizabeth Short.
3: Elizabeth Short, really. Well, she had come from Medford, and one of the things is, and I mean, to do that, I mean, is it important locally? Well, it's become an infamous crime, Mm. and sometimes
6: infamy, I guess, is historical. Yes, you have Charles Manson stuff. I noticed on the big—if you zoom in on the Google map, this is marker. Royal House and slave quarters is still there.
3: Well, this is the other thing. There is a chapter in this book on Medford on the Royal House, and Isaac Royal started off in life in Dorchester, Massachusetts, and then went off to Antigua. He actually had a fortuitous marriage, and he basically owned a sugarcane plantation, which was, of course, worked by enslaved people from Africa. Now, during the early part of the 18th century, he did quite well, and he returned to New England in 1737. And he bought the old Usher House, which really was part of the Ten Hills Farm. It was partly Charlestown, partly Somerville, you know, and then again it became South Medford. Well, Royal redesigned the house. It became the grandest house in colonial New England, and he had a 1,000 acres. So ironically, he not only lived there with his wife and two daughters, but he also lived there with 40 enslaved people that he had brought from Antigua. Now, the Royal House actually has slave quarters, and these are thought to be the only slave quarters north of the Mason-Dixon line that actually predate wow. the Revolution. So in 1737, you know, he had this grand estate. So not only did they live in the house, but they also maintained the property. So A lot, a lot of history presented. in
6: Medford, and a lot of it's in Anthony Samarco's book on Medford, available either on the big old Amazon or in the nice, fun local bookstores. So let's go just talk to Michael. Hey, Michael.
4: Hey, good morning, Bradley and Anthony. Hi. It is... a real treat to talk to you Anthony you're uh, Bradley's got a lot of great guests but I think you're, you're my all-time favorite well, thank you very much um, so about Medford I, I my my grandparents and great-grandparents um, lived in Medford they lived in the the Fulton Heights section and you know to me as a kid in the 70s that was like really going to the country and um, so that's right in that area you've been talking about, you know, the Fells Woods, um, Wright's Ponds. Yes. New England Memorial Hall. Judy was boring.
5: Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com.
12: It's my little escape.
5: Now Judy's the life of the party.
12: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
5: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
4: J-j-jumba. ChumbaCasino.com.
5: No purchase necessary. Void. we're prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and
4: conditions apply. See website for details. Hospital. And uh, I was just curious, like, how did that section of town get developed? And, and maybe also, um, you know... I know you talked about the Lawrence uh, family was a benefactor for the area, but there's also the Converse family, I think, uh, had a lot of influence up in that area.
3: Well, funny thing was, you know, in the 19th century, Medford was becoming a city, and in 1892, when it did become the city of Medford, there was tremendous development. But you had ease of transportation. You had not just horse-drawn omnibuses followed by streetcars, but then you also had the railroad. And the railroad, which continued to populate the area of Spring Street and Salem Street, as well as West Medford, would continue in that period. But in the 1920s and 1930s, Fulton Heights was an area just north of Medford Square. And funny thing was, they were small houses. And there was somebody that actually I was talking with last week, And he said, did you know that the area was called Tar Shack Neighborhood?
4: Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. I was going to ask you about that.
3: And that was a colloquialism, but the thing was, a lot of these were cottages. Now, here you were within the Middlesex Fells. Here you were near ponds like Wright's Pond and everything. It was actually a place many people would go to in the summer or as a little resort And one of the things was these were not year-round houses. They were wooden-framed and usually covered in tar paper. We basically see it on roofs in that period. But on the other hand, it was actually these little shacks that people had. And it wasn't the fact they were poor, but they were just basically houses that one would live in only for a period of time. They weren't to be year-round or anything. And that area really didn't develop until the 1920s and 1930s. But then you saw St. Francis actually being built. A neighborhood right. arose, and the Fellsway was cut through as a major automobile route. And that was something that we would see tremendous development with two-family houses. And later in the 1950s and early 1960s, smaller one-family ranch houses. So the neighborhood itself was more 20th century than really any other part of Medford, but it was also something in a lot of ways that all had its development because of the Fellsway.
4: Right. I I took a drive up there, you know, last week for the first time and in a long time and, you know, everything seems smaller, right? When you, it does. When you go back and closer together. But to me growing up, like I said, in the seventies, that really was the country and, and, It just doesn't seem like there's a a speck of undeveloped land up in that area now, you know.
3: Well, my parents. Go ahead, please.
4: um, Also, the I I I happen to drive by. It looks like they're getting ready to redevelop that whole area where the New England Memorial Hospital was. Yes, um, exactly. You know, right across from Spot Pond, which is another you know beautiful area. And I think I think. I thought that the Converse family had something to do with that, or maybe they own the land. They own the land, behind yes. Behind it, is that what it was? Yes. There?
3: Well, one of the things was my parents, like I say, lived off of Lawrence Road. So one of their favorite things was to go to the hilltop. The Hilltop was a major restaurant on Route 1 North going in August.
4: Oh, yeah. We spent many days at the Hilltop standing (laughs) in line waiting for our... Exactly. And then, of course,
3: jump up immediately. Sioux City for four. But we would go up that area of the Fellsway and, you know, driving and then go through Melrose and go the back road and then come down. Yeah, by Stagecoach Grill and and Jerry Jingles. Jerry Jingles. And, you know, I would always (laughs) think sometimes how rural that area was in the 70s, I mean, I'm not talking a thousand years ago. I'm only talking so 40.
4: Go ahead. I used to ride my bike from from my house in Melrose up up through that area, the Fell's Way, up to my grandparents' house up in the Fulton Heights in yes. Medford when I was a kid. You know, much different times. You know, exactly. Uh, you know, parents, you can't let your kids, you know, ride ride down the end of the street these
3: days. But. Well, that's a major route too, along parallel to the ninety
4: three. So. Yeah, yeah, it's it's much different now. But and and also, a I, I caller it before it talked about the reservoir up back there, mm-hmm. um, behind the the hospital. That you know, we we all you know, swam in there as a kids. So that sure. was a swimming hole in the woods where you had cake parties and all that good stuff, right? Really. But that whole reservoir, I'm not even sure if it's there now. I I, I actually worked on it. I don't even know. Probably maybe 15 20 years ago they they enclosed that and put big concrete water tanks underground up there oh, I see. so i'm not even sure if the ponds are still uh, actually up there but um, so and and i it, while i got you i had one question about a specific building in Boston and i i figured you would be the guy to ask if uh, if you wouldn't mind sure um there's a building right at the beginning of Water Street and I'm not sure the exact number. It's a low number. I want to say maybe three or five or seven or something. And I believe it is either the oldest structural steel building in Boston or maybe even the country. And it's it's right on the corner, you know, the hill going, the little hill going down to post office square there. Right. And I was wondering if you knew, and it's one of those buildings you walk by every day and never even look at it. And if you if you really take a look at at it's it's a really ornate building, the the you know, in between floors, the kick plates and the ornamentation on the window sills, it's all cast iron. And and that's another building I had worked on, you know, probably back in the late eighties and I was just always curious about. about
3: I don't the, I'll be honest. I don't know, but believe me, I'll find out and you will be the first person that will have my voice next month when I'm here. All right. Thank that, you uh, so yeah, much. It's a,
6: all right. Hey, I know the building you're talking talk about. You. Take Th- care. Thanks, Mike. Let's do squeeze Mary and Melrose in before the break. Mary, hi. Hi. How are you? Great. Say hi, hi. to Anthony.
12: Hi, John, Mary. I'm, uh, I was in Medford for 59 years, uh, Anthony, and I belong to the Historical Society, and the guy that was the director was Tom Lincoln. Yes. And I uh, now I'm living in Melrose for 16 years. But uh, we have, that was Elizabeth Short, was the Black Dahlia, because she went to school with one of my cousins at Medford High. Very. You know, she lived on Vine Street in oh, Medford. Did
6: right. you know her? Pardon me? Did you know her?
12: No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that old. I'm just saying what the stories. When I was a kid, oh. I heard all these stories, you know? Sure. And uh, down the street from the Bright's Pond, before you get onto the Foway there's a house on your right hand side and that it's, it was uh, movies were filmed there And Lana Turner came to uh, Medford really? it was in a movie
3: yeah an earlier caller had mentioned that there was a, a movie house uh, oh, production I didn't,
12: I didn't I haven't heard the, that's great. the beginning of this wow. so I just put the radio on and I said I was waiting so long to hear you talk about Metford, so I finally got you you know great, thank you. I think, in a lot
3: of um, ways, you know, that's the thing about the Black Dahlia. I think is really kind of nice because it's a part of the 20th century history, and
12: yeah, it, it was yeah. something
3: that gripped the na- the nation. I think so.
6: Wow.
12: And then, um,
6: then we had Bill Mombouquette,
12: the Red Sox guy, came from Medford.
6: That's Number 27. He was a pitcher.
12: That's right. He, and his father worked with my uncle at Hoods Milk.
6: Wow.
12: And Eddie Mackey's father, they all worked together at Hoods Milk. You know. Jeez, small see,
3: world, huh? It is a small world, but that's what makes it all the more fun. Eddie Markey. Eddie Markey, yeah. yes. <laughs> good <laughs> old Eddie Markey. Markey.
12: Good friend, good friend. We called each other cousins like Martha Coakley,
3: you know? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs>
12: Yeah. Um, what, uh, where do you live? Do you live in Milton now?
3: Well, we did for many years. We live in Boston and Austerville, so we're on the Cape most of the time Oh, right
12: yeah, now. good old Austerville, yeah. I yeah. have friends in West Dennis. Oh,
3: okay. it's not too far. And
12: um, w- when are you going to be speaking at the Historical Society so I can see what you look like? I believe
3: <laughs> it is the second Sunday of November, but the don't quote Sunday me. second
12: Sunday of November.
3: And it's at 7 p.m. at the Milton Senior Center on Riverside Avenue.
12: Uh, what, what, are we are on Riverside
3: Ave. Do you know the Medford Senior Citizen Center? Oh,
12: yeah,
3: 121-99. Yeah, and I don't know the exact date. I think it's the second Sunday, but the thing is, do yeah, check. I can always call yeah, them. Yeah, do you check
0: know? their events catalog.
3: Yeah, how do you All spell right. your last name, Anthony, by the way? Is it's it? S and in Samuel, A, double M as in Mary.
0: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
12: I always thought it was Lamarco. <laughs>
3: no, no, though, that's my distant cousin. <laughs> okay,
12: and uh, let's see what else was going. Yeah, so Metro uh, it was pretty historical there, you know, for different uh, things. And when you said Fanny Farmer, that that, that was exactly I heard about that when I was in the historical society. So she was pretty famous too. I wonder uh, what her real
3: name was. Fanny. It was it was Fanny Farmer. Yeah, Fanny. Fanny Fannie
12: Fannie Candy stores on the phones right right? Yeah, they had
3: nothing to do yeah. with her, but she was Fanny with the F A N N Y, and the candy uh-huh. was F A N N I E. Same name, but it was not anything to do with the yeah. cook. But thank you for Thanks, calling. Thanks, Mary. Appreciate
6: it. Nice to talk to Mary. A couple of things we didn't really get to. Medford Crackers it
3: was a cracker It capital. is capital, and that was actually Lydia Maria Child's father. And he made what was basically a pilot cracker, but it was called Medford Crackers. And it was actually at the corner of Salem Street and Ashland Street in Medford Square. And that was the major feature. It was something that had shelf life. Was that like
6: a soda cracker, just a plain cracker?
3: A plain cracker. And it was the Medford Cracker became nationally known. And in the early 19th century, it was something that was used as a store on any ship that had sailors or passengers because, again, it was something that had shelf
6: life. And now I want, not only do I want a vodka tonic, I want a Medford cracker. I I must be hungry because everything... i am trying to find Everything that uh, you talk about, I want.
3: But don't you think that history is also interrelated to food? Now, when I was a young child, they used to have a restaurant called Di Pasquale's in South Medford. Wonderful Italian food. And now it's known as Bocelli's. And I have to admit... I have brought more people to Bocelli's to actually savor the food. It's something that my Ginelli family connections would actually come from, Multavicano, and what is today Avellino in Italy. And it's the same type of food that I was raised on. And I would always think sometimes, what a wonderful aspect of this restaurant. And the family that runs it, they're just the nicest people. Where is it? It's on South Main Street in Medford, right near the corner of Harvard Avenue. And Bocelli's is something. Why don't we go there? That would be actually kind of a fun thing. I'll pick you up in town and we'll go out and we'll actually sample it. Because I think sometimes, you know, food is so integral to a neighborhood in its evolution of history. So whether it's the Medford Cracker or Bocelli's, (laughs) I think sometimes we begin to realize how fun it is.
6: Yeah, Anthony and I, we, we go out every once in a while and get hammered. We do not get hammered. No, we don't really. Actually, not at all. We went to Jacob Worth, and we only had, I believe, one one beer, one uh, imbibment. That's true. And uh, some good food. Now, I guess it's a good time before we go to Cheryl and Michael. Potential good news about Jacob Worth. Right? You go ahead and unveil. One
3: of the things is about Jacob Wirth's, I mean, it was a Germanic-style restaurant of the 19th century, and Jacob Wirth himself not only had the longest bar in all of Boston, but it was also something in some ways that the food evolved to preserve, in some ways, the traditions of the Germanic community. Wiener schnitzel, sauerbraten, um, wonderful sausage, and everything of that sort— so Bradley and I actually had dinner there. Must be two years ago. And we, Yikes! Can you believe that? I know two years, oh. and you don't look a day older. Mm, no, because my hair is totally white. But the funny thing is, in some ways, Jacob Worth was something that we knew was part of the history of the food in Boston. And then when it closed, we were both dumbfounded. Yeah, so, you knew it was
6: going to close. That's why we went.
3: Well, I had th- heard rumors and things of that sort, but. I think sometimes you have to realize in many ways that building has been shuttered, so to speak, now for months. Yeah,
6: and I walked by and noticed that I had not gotten rid of the furniture, and I thought, I have to ask Anthony if they're going to have some sort of auction because that's something you would know about, I feel. Uh, but then it turns out that it may become a sports bar. It's
3: proposed, and I think one of the things is they have to, of course, go to uh, an appeal for the city of Boston and liquor license and things of that sort. But what more wonderful thing to actually preserve at least the fabric of the building, it would be nice if they called it Worth's Sports Bar.
6: That's something. And it'd be nice if they didn't serve Mexican food. They should serve German food. Wouldn't that be But fun. still.
3: But still. It went out, but there are many reasons. Mr. Fitzgerald, who was the proprietor of Jacob Worth, I'm sure he basically wanted to retire and things of that sort. But you know, over the last couple of years, we've lost not just Jacob Worth, but we've lost Durgan
6: Park. How did you buy it, Anthony?
3: I would, but I'm too old. Have Payne Boucher buy it. Oh, Payne Boucher. Wow. We could actually restore it if you want.
6: You could. You could buy it, restore it, run it, operate it.
3: But I think sometimes you have to realize that these are things that are part of the fabric of our being. Boston is something that not only has evolved because of us, but it's evolved because of the restaurants that we once patronized. It's part of the sports scene. It's part of the history and I think sometimes when we lose it we kind of lose a part of ourselves and I did enjoy Jacob Worth's over the years and I think sometimes people have to realize that these are the things that we want to preserve in some
6: ways Okay, let's. we have only two minutes for each of these calls, I'm calling a bit late, Cheryl and Bill Ricker, hi
13: Hi Bradley Hi Anthony, hi. Um, Bradley let me come on a second night in a row so I can talk to you and coincidentally enough, or maybe not, I used to when I was 10, I used to live in that neighborhood in North Medford they called Tar Paper Village. Right. Uh, Horn Ave, right. But I have a food question from another neighborhood in a completely other direction. Um, um, th- these were in the Newton area. Um, one was called Tony's Villa on Route 9. And then in Newton Center, there was a Tony's Junior Villa that was related to the Tony's Villa on Route 9. And attached to Tony's Junior Villa was a pizza place called Giorgio's that I ate there as a little kid. The last time I ate there, I think I was uh, a teenager. And now all these restaurants. Let, let's just find
6: out if he knows about them because we are super short on time. Have you I, heard I, of these places? Right. I, I have not heard of them, no. Sorry, Cheryl.
13: Oh, no. She thought because it was Italian food
6: and you were Italian that oh. you might know. Well, And you might have.
13: I may have. But, but you don't. pizza was unbelievable.
6: We're kind of talking about Medford, though, really, Cheryl. Thanks. And now it's just because it's only a couple minutes left. Michael in Somerville. Hi, Michael.
5: Hey. How are you, Bradley? Hey. Good listening to you guys. Just coming back from New York with my little sister. Grew up in Sullivan Square in East Somerville, but my... Um, Aunt, I can't say she's a blood relative, but we had summer homes in Marshfield next to each other. Marilyn Perica, she was the councilwoman for years that. in Medford.
3: Yes. The Catinos are uh, related to me.
5: Well, Mike, uh, cut it out. Mike Catino, the senator.
3: Yes. Um, Patrick Catino married my cousin, Lucy Janelli. Uh,
5: Okay, Marilyn passed a couple of years, a few years back. I remember Wonderful, yes. wonderful, wonderful family, and her husband worked over at Suffolk Downs.
3: That's right, yes.
5: But we used to get on the Sullivan Square bus in East Somerville and talk about uh, the gentleman a couple of callers ago was talking about being out in the woods. And we would take the Fellsway bus all the way to the end. And walk up maybe a half a mile now, it seemed like four miles, because we were just kids with our towels. And we never once sat at Wright's Beach, but at Wright's Pond, we would walk around the pond through the woods and come out to this pickerel rock. And we used to dive off the rock. Really? Yeah. And the cops would chase us out of there. Great, great, great area, but it was like going out to, you know, suburbia for us, coming from East Somerville.
6: Mike, uh, and, sorry uh, to cut you short, but we're plumb out of time, brother. Called a little bit late. Sorry. Also, Cheryl, sorry to you, too. Anthony, I just want to make sure you have enough time to we remind folks that the book is available, as are all Anthony, all 175 of Anthony's books.
3: <laughs> it's only 174. <laughs> uh, and I uh,
6: still think you should get the box set. And your next uh, talk is when?
3: Uh, Thursday evening at the West End branch of the Boston Public Library. It's Thursday at 630, and it's on the 100th anniversary of the Spanish flu.
6: And that'll be your last talk for the summer, so yes, if you want I'm to hang te- with Anthony, this yeah. would be the, th- the I'd the love event. to see
3: you, and I'm not teaching this summer, so maybe I can come on a couple of extra times.
6: Well, I'm really fortunate that I get to spend these two, two quality hours with you. I'm sure lots of folks are jealous. <laughs> and, uh, you know, thanks a lot. We'll, it's we'll likewise. See you soon. Thank you. Okay. And thank you, Rob. Don't forget about the J Talking Podcast of Anthony segment.
7: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
12: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
7: Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino.